So if we uh, go through the table of contents as uh, I went through the top, top layer, the first one, the human condition, is about where we are. Yeah, it starts off with where we are, and is a parallel, like a microcosm of of the excuse me of the four noble truth. Yeah, some people ask, like, uh, why start off with such a gloomy message? Yeah, but to me, it's being realistic. Because if you don't know where you are, where you start off from, then you cannot move off from there. Yeah, you cannot move off from there. So if you if we have to look through introduction, OH, illness and death, and that is basically from the first noble truth. Yeah. The tribulations of unreflective living, a world in turmoil without discoverable beginning. Uh, the general theme of all these sutras is a reflection on the state of how our life is. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, this question arises in SGC about how to uh, overcome attachment uh, on, on people, on things, on our life and so on. <clears throat> and I've often mentioned about doing reflection on the thoughts and dangers of the things that we are attached to. This is quite different from our usual approach of, of repulsion, you know, or avoidance of the things that we are attached to. Yeah, I've often highlighted in class about how the Buddha's approach is to actually not um, be repulsed or to avoid that person or that thing or that circumstances, but to go and face it, to see it, to reflect over it but not simply reflect and face it the usual way, but to reflect on the shortcomings. Yeah? Uh, but in some parts of the sutras, in other parts of sutras, there's also mention about how we should know the extent of gratification that we can get from life. Yeah. In other words, to look at the things that we are attached to and to consider, okay, how much joy can we really get from it? Yeah. And then from there, look at what are the faults and dangers? What's the problem with it? Mm. We tend to only look at one side or the other. And in fact, when we talk, look at the, 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 the joy and the benefits of things, we usually don't see a complete picture also. Yeah. Or even if we see a complete picture, uh, we barely experience the complete picture. Yeah. Most people, most of us, you know the whole idea of the laksa thing about saying that if you can eat two bowls of laksa, seven bowls of laksa, yeah, uh, it is almost like a strange proposition. It is a strange proposition because nobody eats in that way. But the thing is that that is the, the point because most of us uh, are either limited by our resources to eat so much or limited by our ability to eat so much. So we never really hit that upper limit. Yeah, so it always seems like there's more pleasure to be derived from it. We, we never quite when either uh, mentally uh, examine or factually, literally go and experience that, yeah, there's actually a limit to that, to that pleasure. Yeah. So the first uh, main chapter is really about our human condition. What, how is our life like actually? 
from there, you can see, if I can just briefly read through, uh, OH, Inners and Death. So you start off with a Sutra from Sanyutta Nikaya, Aging and Death. Then the simile of the mountain, divine messengers. Uh, simile of mountain should be about how even the mountain itself is uh, subject to change, yeah, likewise our body. The divine messengers from Aguttara Nikaya is a sutra that is very uh, almost poetic. It talks about how uh, if a person, if a young man uh, were to live his life just uh, indulging in sensual pleasure, Upon death, he'll be brought beyond, uh, uh, before uh, King Yama and then questioned. And King Yama will question him and say, Why didn't you do any good yeah, when you are alive? Uh, didn't you know, didn't you see the divine messengers? And he'll be like, no, What divine messengers? Then he'll ask him, Didn't you see uh, old age? Uh, didn't you see others grow old and so on? Then he'll be like, Oh, I didn't. Well, you didn't. And you live your life. Uh, in indulgence without you know care for to do any good and for that you must suffer and so on and so forth and all together there are a couple of divine messengers the highlight you know, aging illness and death yeah. uh, I remember that there are a few others yeah. mm. later if we, when we go through then you will see the tribulations mm. of unreflective living uh, so from divine messengers that's that that, uh, that theme already then when we come to this, uh, it goes full swing. The dart of painful feeling. This is the sutra that where the Buddha talk about how uh, both enlightened and unenlightened being experiences painful feeling. The difference between the run of meal whirling and that of an enlightened disciple, a noble one, uh, they differ in how they respond to it. The unenlightened being, after being uh, hurt, physically or mentally, further hurt themselves by grieving over it, by having all the destroyed and everything else. Yeah. So this is one particular sutra that is one of my favorite also. The vicissitudes of life, mm, at this point, <laughs> impression not very strong. Uh, we may have to look at it later. Yeah. But uh, could be the eight winds. Could be the eight winds. Yeah. Um, anxiety due to change. Uh, I think some of the titles are quite self-explanatory. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, most of this is about the difference between an enlightened being who is reflective versus a whirling who is not reflective and the consequences. Yeah, the consequences. So, uh, for most people, their human condition is that of the unreflective living. Mm. Hence, this series of sutras highlighted. Yeah, because most people don't Somehow, yeah, somehow. Uh, I have had conversation with many uh, friends and students. It turned out that actually a lot, many Singaporeans are reflective. It's just that when they reflect, uh, you know how Singapore has this complaint culture. And when many people are complaining, you don't want to be seen as the person who don't complain. So you just join in complaining. Similarly, when most people don't seem to be reflective, you don't want to be seen as wow, singgao, singgao. <laughs> you know, to be the one who wow, so so deep, uh, so chim, uh, you know. Even if you are reflective, you don't want to be seen to be so like high and lofty. So people tend we are social creatures. Most are, yeah. Uh, 
uh, I said maybe people like me, I don't care. I just yeah, you <laughs> your problem if you don't reflect. Yeah, because I have spoken to many individuals, and they shared with me that yeah, they have thought of these questions before, um, but they they didn't manage to find others who who share in this reflection. Mm. Or further, when they do these reflections, they do, can't seem to come with come out to any conclusion, and it's just too overwhelming for them. The implications of the reflection, yeah, um, is too overwhelming. So they they decide to just flat pack it and then put it under the shelf and forget about it. So, so do we stop because of pain and because we feel that there will be no confidence to override it? That's why people pack it up and shelf it. I, I suspect from my encounters and my conversations with uh, a, a good number of individuals <coughs> that many people do face that predicament. That when they do reflection about life, about like purpose of life, for example, and so on, uh, many of them uh, are, are just overwhelmed and they, they, don't, they can't seem to find... Uh, uh, a good enough alternative or solution so they decide to and, and, and it's just too painful the implication because for me so for I recently have been sitting and thinking especially during this break where you're in China sitting and thinking yeah, I just realised one thing I was reading a uh, publication by Ajahn Sumiho uh. on the Four Noble Truth and I realised one thing after reading it I really don't know what the form of noble truth is, except for the uh, surface level of it. Um, and after reading it, I was just going around asking even my fellow Dharma brothers sisters, so what exactly is suffering? <laughs> so everybody is like, tell me this. Oh no, suffering is oh, that's the definition. <laughs> what is suffering? Yeah. So it's that to the point where you come and that everybody just give you more definition yeah, based on what yeah, yeah. that you say like Okay, there's no way to probably go beyond that to reflect or understand what suffering or is all about. That then you just stop it and say, let's see what happens after that. Just follow the group and say. Okay. Yeah, if somebody else asks probably another so-called so smart question, did it? So that's why I said, I, I did tell uh, a few of my Dharma brothers and sisters that if we cannot even look beyond the first noble truth, don't talk so much about other sutras and dharmas and whatever it is. Because... <laughs> Way before that, when, when, when Lord Buddha was speaking, just a form of truth. All sutras came only after when questions yes. came, then he started explaining them, yes. past as I heard. Yes. And that's why I have uh, often repeated this encounter with some students from some university, where they invited me to, uh, to preside over their, I think, management retreat or some kind of uh, a Dharma camp. And then, in a discussion before the camp about the topics, then they said that, well, a good number of them, I think it was a Dharma camp, so they said that a good number of them are already second-year students, and they have attended basic Buddhism classes. So maybe you may not want to cover things like Four Noble Truth and Eightfold Path, stuff like, you know, that is the basic Buddhism stuff. And then I look at that person and I almost 
chuckle or, or smile or laugh and I'm like so you're telling me that they are intermediate and advanced and they're like yeah something like that and then I that's where I put on my I don't know whether you would call that sarcastic or, or your monk look <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I said like if they are really intermediate they will delight in the form of the truth if they are really advanced they will cherish the form of the truth they will not say that this is basic Buddhism this is mm. you know sure. like beginner stuff and uh, I don't want we, there's no need to cover this anymore when the Buddha if you and I, basically what you just said that if you just look at what the Buddha taught it circles around the form of the truth and how many times have the Arahans when the Buddha is in town and he was going to deliver on the Four Noble Truth, they delight in it. Yeah, they, they still go and attend. I should correct myself. They didn't still go and attend. They look forward to attending it. It was not like, I have Bukin, you know, Buddha have to go and attend. Still have to attend. Inks you. Yeah, it was, yeah, Inks you. Like, I have Bukin, Buddha, you know. No, it was not. It means entertain. It's yeah. Hokkien. Hokkien. Yeah, it was not. It was really that because if you are enlightened or if you are uh, if you are an intermediate or advanced learner of Buddhism, you will really appreciate what the Four Noble Truth is, and you will look forward to a, another person to who will bring to life the Four Noble Truth. And even if it is exactly what the Buddha said, you will delight in it because wow, how beautiful it is! Mm. You know, in fact, after reading the Nikaya, sometimes people bring some of the contemporary books and I'm like I also pious to say no but I also feel like uh, occupy the shelf space if I say yes why? because if you look at the translations one could say that it's a translation but it's as close as it gets to what the Buddha said and when you look at what the Buddha said it's very straight to the point not flowery and yet so rich you know so rich so beautiful yeah. So, uh, for 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 I I, I concur with what Calvin uh, said about how uh, if we cannot really even really appreciate what what exactly are we are suffering over, uh, then to go into what so called very chim, you know, commentary and all those things is almost like a waste of time. Which is why when I do cover commentaries, I always bring it back to a fundamental question, which I will always, almost always highlight in the first lesson. Write down three things that upsets you. I say, please don't write down, or oh, aging, sickness and death, Nothing more to answer. <laughs> I don't need that. I know it better than you. <laughs> if I want, I can Google online also. Anyone can do that. Yeah, I keep telling and emphasizing, it must be something that you are facing. Don't give me standard, oh, I'm suffering from defilements. Yeah, standard, you know, like, greed, hatred, and delusion. Yeah. Also known as, <laughs> like, desire, <laughs> anger, and... The question, what are you five again? <laughs> yeah, what are you five? I think I'm like, oh, uh, yes, okay, what? five again, like... So, how do you introduce yourself? You introduce yourself as five years. Whenever I attend your class, then you start to refer back to 四圣地, 八圣道, I always get 
consistency is the four over two, Spartan Dance, no way from now. I always get a jab on it because once you say that I just don't know how to accept it. It becomes very tough. So even I read other sutras or whatever it is, sometimes I read, it's just like a storybook. You know, it's a storybook telling you just a grass story or whatever it is. How terrible yeah. you want it. But still cannot explain my thought over what the first robot truth is. And that is very hard to accept. Mm. Uh, you you should, we should find in this <coughs> this book, right? There are some references to the Arahants where they, the point where they attain enlightenment and they make this declaration. They see it as it is. Suffering is suffering. Mm. Cause of suffering is cause of suffering. The end of suffering is the end of suffering. The path leading to the end of suffering is the path leading to the end of suffering. Last time when I read this and when I heard hear about this in Chinese, Ku Ji Si Ku, Ji Ji Si Ji, Mie Ji Si Mie, Dao Ji Si Dao. You just memorize it, or you just hear it and oh, okay, yeah, cool. You know, <laughs> this is what they say when they. Some some cliche they can use. To yeah. Impress. Yeah. But later on, I start to appreciate that the the full extent, or at least to me now, is the full extent. Maybe as I become more acquainted or more enlightened, I realize oh, that's just the surface. You know, I start to appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, that. What is meant by to see suffering as suffering? You see, <coughs> I often highlight when I talk about the Four Noble Truth that there's a mistranslation or a misinterpretation. Life is suffering. Mm. I often highlight that. That is not what is found in the text. What is found in the text is the first Noble Truth of suffering that is to be comprehended. Over the years, I start to appreciate that. Yeah. Why, why, why must we talk about suffering? Everybody has experienced suffering. But if you really go into the details of what the Buddha explained about suffering, he was highlighting that we usually only appreciate a, a form of our experiences as suffering. But another part of our life, we don't see it as suffering. And so we, we, we try to avoid this and go after this. What he highlighted was that this other aspect on the surface, at the get-go, is indeed pleasure, but it hides, it has underlying suffering within it. It has a tendency to bring about craving and attachment that leads ultimately to suffering. Yeah. So he was really explaining what exactly we suffer over. Yeah. But even then, I, I would still highlight to you all that you need to go and observe in your life when you experience this, when you drink that coffee, is it suffering? But sometimes it's good not to jump straight into the question, but to just ask yourself actually, how do you experience this? Mm. When you drink it, what is that experience? Mm. Mm. Is it? And if you currently experience it as pleasure, so be it. Don't try to force yourself to see it as suffering also. Yeah, but to really watch that experience and see what happened to that experience. Beyond that, if I tell you further, then it becomes an, uh, a regimental process, which mm. is not going to help anybody. So, Supu, can oh. I relate this back to your mindfulness practice we had during meditation on the raisin? Uh-huh, yes. 
Yes. Yes. It's the same process. So yeah. that's how it's being related. It actually, is it because we have to learn how to enhance our mindfulness so that we start to understand and see all causes as actual sufferings, be it whether it affects us or not. But all you see is not about sensual pleasures where we disguise the suffering. There's still suffering in that, but it's just because we use sensual pleasures to buffer it in some manner. That we don't see it as suffering. We see it as enjoyment or something like that. Uh, yes. Uh, but there's another layer to it. There's another layer to it. But you're in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, the key thing is that this uh, is last time I'll be very eager to just explain everything you know but now I'm I start to appreciate why some teachers don't explain everything they only explain the technique but not the solution yeah because the, the whole joy of arriving at a solution if I were to explain it I'm actually shortchanging your I'm robbing you of the chance of Eureka. <laughs> That's why it was always in my mind that when you're back from China, this is probably something I want to bring up with you uh, to see if from your experience you could probably guide me into proper reflection uh, over this so that I can better understand the first number truth. Uh, I do not aim to be able to ping and get a hello around me, yeah. but at least to understand it uh, so that when the next ever need to explain to another Dharma brother or sister I would have a better way of not explaining it but doing it as a guidance so I think it's not a matter of trying to explain it's, it's never yeah. about explaining yeah. it's about guiding yourself towards it yeah. like so remember you talk about anger when it rises as well yes. so to deal with it we must first be able to recognize that the anger is going to rise yeah. and how we deal with it so I'm probably not very good with it, but now whenever anger is going to rise in me, I can see it coming. Mm. But unfortunately, I'm not mentally strong enough to, to suppress it, to uh, not let it arise. Yeah. It still arises, but mm. I realize as time goes by, the times where it arises will gradually get diminished. Mm. Or even when it arises, I can let it go faster than last time. Good. Last time is probably uh, I'll get angry. Idiot. Uh, after a while, okay, then think back. Wow, that fellow, huh? <laughs> Still thinking. Now it's like, oh, okay, it happened. Huh? This is part of life. It happens. Huh? It will always happen. Like it or not, it will always happen. So I'll just let it go. So, although it arises, I can let it off faster. Mm. Or like I it can. Still arise, yes, huh? I can so, see. I can see it coming. Yeah. But unfortunately, like I'm not strong enough, maybe. Mm. Uh, Ritually or so, mentally to let it not arise. Okay, so now I must tell you, which I actually have mentioned, if not in the meditation class in SGC, that there's this two general classification of Buddhist practices that I have uh, come to observe. One is the bandit, the other one is the uprooting. The bandit is the mindfulness part. Yeah, and many of our practices focuses on this part. Uh, that's to say, when anger, greed, or whatever arises, to be able to know that it has arisen, and then to be able to mitigate it. Yeah. So this is what I also call the wet the mole process. Mm. Come up, put, come up, put, and after a while you can get quite proficient, such that 
on the surface, you don't seem to see any of them arise because as swiftly as it arises, you are able to slap it down. Yeah. And what you have observed over time, the frequency becomes lesser and you are able to anticipate its arising better as well. But as you also rightly observe, it's still arising. Which is a good thing that you observe that. Because for many people, then they start to become complacent. And this is what in class I call the, the major pothole, pit stop, that people get stuck in. They start to think that, what else is there to do? I'm quite enlightened already. And truly enough, for many of people who are at this stage, life is drastically better than it was before. And, you know, comparatively, because you're able to like deal with many things and you may well even become an envy of people around you. Envy not in a bad way, but in an admirable way that, wow, this person really cultivate, and then the ego and the complacency can really set in and really root you in that you don't think further that there's anything left to do. And that's where I share also that then it's very precious when you encounter someone who actually can really get you upset. <laughs> I mentioned before in class. Yeah. Why? Because then you realize the preciousness of someone who can get you upset because they are the one who teach you something that many times your teacher cannot do. And perhaps in, in some ways, you know, some teachers can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, it's some teachers, some teachers. So, and the key thing. So the key thing is that why is this uh, crucial, and why is such a person precious? Because this person helped you realize that you're not enlightened, mm-hmm. that there's more work to be done. Just like yesterday's the reply, huh? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. In many levels, <laughs> you know. So, uh, all most of our practices focuses on mm-hmm. the first part, which is the wet the mold process. Arise, defilements, you resolve it. But to really uproot it, uh, we've involved what we call wisdom. Yeah. And this can only happen through a three-stage process. Wen, si, siu. Hearing, you get knowledge. Then you reflect over that knowledge of what others have experienced and realized. And through that reflection and contemplation, you get a deep understanding of it. So these two can help us to have a new view and attitude towards what we are, have experienced and what we're going to experience. And it may change our mindset sufficiently such that you don't get upset over it. But to totally, totally resolve it, then you need to cultivate to verify what you have heard and understood, to have a realization of it. Yeah. And that is where it's totally internalized. Such that in the past, you see, what we see is the mole coming up. What we don't see is the trigger that causes the mole coming up. Mm. Now, when we go through this three-stage process, you are having a deeper knowledge of the (coughs) underlying mechanism. And then through the reflection and contemplation, you are understanding why it happens, how it happens. But only when you have cultivated and see it clearly, then you you disarm the whole mechanism. And so the music still going to... But then the mold doesn't come up anymore. Yeah. So on the surface, the two person at these two stages 
may uh, in, in many cases appear to be similar. So a person who has reached a certain cultivation may be almost imperceptible, there's an imperceptible difference between such a person and someone who is close to enlightened or enlightened. But it is when things break down, when things really go south, then you can see who still maintain that peace. Uh, and that person is probably closer or if not enlightened. So now I've got two Dharma brothers uh, waiting for me to give an answer of what the first noble truth is, uh, which I know I definitely will not be able to give an answer. What would be the tabled answer that I should give to them so that they can also... correct I would say politically correct, <laughs> but what would be the tabled answer, so mm. documented or whatever? So the first thing... So that they can go and contemplate on it themselves. The first thing I would uh, still say is that Notice that in the Heart Sutra class in SGC, I'll still go through the standard uh, uh, set that is given by the Buddha. Yeah. Because I start to appreciate that if for many people, if they don't even know the standard set that the Buddha highlighted, they really there's really no way for you to start anywhere. But once they know that set, uh, it's helpful to know the implication of that set. And then from that implication, uh, they should uh, then be able to do a, a, a reflection or a parallel to their life. Uh, yeah, this is how I would approach it. So and how I would advise them to approach it. To advise that they have first understanding first of what Buddha has taught. Yes. Then from there, to first have a knowledge and then an understanding of what the Buddha has taught. And then put a line to their own current lives life and experience and yes. how it relates. Yes, but the, in, the important thing about this whole process is don't try to be, don't, don't be too contrived. Hmm. Some people say, eh, but how, at this point I, I just don't see it or I just can't do it. I, when I see that person, I just don't, I'm just unhappy. It's okay, I mean, but you must know that you are unhappy for a start. <coughs> Don't try to, oh, I must be like Buddha, yeah. I must be like Buddha, ah, ah, may you be very unhappy. <laughs> yeah. You should recognize that that is the ideal you are working towards. It's quite tough. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, you should know that that's the ideal. <laughs> you have no idea, man, how many times I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. I, I give a slap. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I probably have got um, experiences behind me that are probably not very Hong Kong. <laughs> I mean, given my, my, my work life and everything else, I've done enough entertaining. Uh. You know, so, even in nightclubs that we used to have to go for entertainment, both here, right? Okay. So I know some Mama San from a long time. Okay. So, nowadays when they see me, they will comment to another friend. It's called Papian. Papian. Because it's now that. I can simply just walk away and when they have something that they want to how can do you I will like be able to entice you yeah I will be able to like oh have have don't have don't have then it's like they can't they can't they don't have a hold on you anymore correct they can't accept like last time when they pushed me they go botah I used to be a very strong drinker. Yeah. Then I'm also a smoker then. Also. <laughs> so once they put cigarette, cigarette smoke, <laughs> one will die, die, die together. <laughs> but 
谁怕谁啊？呀，从那会在，没得 push 的歌去熬的。哦。Can have, can don't have。那到了 winter， 啊，好低。哈哈。你哥开始，然后好低呀，然后好低就是到你哥是的。嗯。Then for smoking, I did tell them before. In fact, Louis knows about it as well. The last stick of cigarette I smoked was on June the 18th, 2016. Oh. The day we left for Sri Lanka. Oh. Oh. At the nice. airport, I smoked my last stick at the hall. <coughs> Ten sticks. Lighter when you're there. Uh-huh. And when I was in Lanka, the first few days was very bad withdrawal. Oh. Of course, I used to be about 30 mm. to 40 sticks a day. Okay. But, but you have it quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, by the time I came back from Lanka, I was more or less uh, getting a redraw very well already. Okay. So to, then when I came back from Lanka, I decided that this will carry on. It will not be returned. Okay. So I actually skipped from seeing my friends for about two weeks after I returned. Wow. Then after that, we went for coffee, you know, eight, nine of us, all old friends. And they passed it around? No, no, they passed. The whole table all secret. <laughs> everybody smoked. Nothing to pass. <laughs> yeah, everybody smoked. So everybody will throw their lighter, everything is not there. Wow. Then I can just look at it, they can smoke, and I will... No feeling. Mm. I wouldn't even like, last time... Ah, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you know, it's all there, it's all there. Yeah. It is there, it is there. Yeah. And I've gone to a stage where even I walk past coffee shops, 7-Eleven. Last time I see cigarette, I'll just point. Like, no, I won't even like. Instinctive already. No, I s- look at it, I'll just say, it's there. Yeah. But I don't really need to have it. Yeah. So effectively, I've already been off cigarettes uh, since June 18th. Wow. Sadu, sadu, sadu. It's my sixth attempt, and it's probably the most successful. Oh, I think I, I think I, I think I have to really call it a day and retire now. <laughs> like this is probably the peak of my life. <laughs> like each time when a student tell me about their success story, I'm like, yeah, this is a bonus. <laughs> why why do you think I'm sitting here? I, I, because I see a change in myself also. <laughs> I really see no. a change. In- I'm very... I'm hey, yesterday the message, I can... <laughs> <laughs> but... Because some I would have one and shoot one already. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I probably got to a stage where some of my friends, even my old friends, are, are saying that... You know, how lame this that. But to me, it's like, not, it's not a matter of how lame things. But yeah. other is that... I'll probably learn something now. I may not be very deep in Dharma. Yeah. But I could have crossed a level of understanding that probably those who have studied Dharma for a long time may not even have gone through before. Mm-hmm. It could be probably because of past experiences, yeah. because of past karma, mm-hmm. past lives, yeah. that this present life is experiencing something different. Oh, sure. But I don't know how to explain to my friends that it's, it's not a matter of, oh, I'm proud, I, I, I now study Dharma. Like, you know, it's like, no, I, I don't. I will want to share. Mm. Yeah. But I don't know where to start. Ah. Correct, correct. I think I share the same yes. Yeah, so I don't know where to start, but I want to share. Yes. But let, if let me... I ever start, they'll probably like I'm gonna see. No, no, yeah. I, I I only share like, with Michael and Crystal because my yeah, That's why that's why Crystal left the home, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael not around. <laughs> oh okay. I do find that my ropes are very good, you see? It remove dead skin cells very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very <laughs> yeah. You notice that the, there's this dark range 
That's why I always fall out. <laughs> you look, look at it spiritually, and it's now, a level of understanding. Actually, now you're able to see other people's character. You know, no, I, I, when, when you're now, actually you see other people's character better see than pain. last time. Because last time you see, you like that, then I, I, I just, you just respond. Yes, I just respond. You so realize, you won't be able to you don't see, see it. Clearly. But now you step back, then you'll be able to see, oh, okay, you know, this is like that, this is like that. I mean, I don't mean to mention names. But at one point in time, remember SGC chat, some people were just like, post 1001 things <laughs> and ask for comments, right? So this particular person that I replied to and said certain things about, uh, was just general, uh, was no, no, no malicious. Uh, so he PM'd me right, uh, separately and said, oh, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't asked Sufu many times about this. Then I just replied him, you have asked Sufu, do you reply him? No. And all these people think they are not mature enough to understand the answers. <laughs> so that's why he's not replying you in the first place. Then he was like, ooh. <laughs> well, at times, it's about trying to level set yourself into getting an understanding rather than let people explain to you that understanding. Yeah. Because Buddha did say, question me all you want. Don't take my words as the truth. So, after a while, he was like, yeah. So nowadays, whenever he says something, I will say something and he will just like, say it. <laughs> I, I don't mean to, there was no intention to hurt him or whatever, yeah, but I don't know whether if I hurt him unintentionally. That's quite obvious who said, <laughs> because he mentioned which I am. <laughs> so, it's that, I think we've probably come to a stage where we try to want to share, yeah. but so, we don't know if it's the right way to share or is yeah. it the... So, proper like message to pass. Yeah, so about sharing, right? Uh, Can I show you this uh, picture? Yeah, very short paragraph because of your question about how to start sharing. Oh, okay. I just remember this. Hmm. That's totally correct. I show him this. Oh. In case. Okay. Yeah, you have any comment on that. Hmm. <laughs> This one, this one, this one greater. Yeah, good point. So, is there any way that we, we should probably share and not seem as if we are high and mighty, as if we know a lot? I, I, I've always professed to to know a lot. It's just only probably at that point in time my understanding is different. Yeah. So. Most people, uh, or rather most Singaporeans, I notice most Singaporeans tend to be, um, to whenever you talk about religious, religious stuff, uh, some people will make it appear to be a sensitive topic even when the discussion is not sensitive in any way. <coughs> Uh, somehow the atmosphere in Singapore is <coughs> like, come on lah, 
let's not talk about religious stuff. Mm. And all it takes is one person to <coughs> express that kind of sentiments and everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So that's the number one hurdle that many of us will face. Uh, I stopped facing that hurdle because I, I'm a monk, I'm going to say what I want to say. The other one is when there are some people who, who for whatever reasons, they are just not religious. And some of them, it is not that they are not religious, it is that they cannot face with what they may have done in their life. So they have a sense of, like there are some students or disciples who actually profess to me that they, they feel very stressed to come and see me because they feel like I can, I, I, that, that's their words, huh? <clears throat> that it seems like I can read their mind. I can't, I can't read anybody's mind. It's just that the Buddha's teaching is about human beings. It's about a very factual, very down-to-earth uh, elaboration on what human beings go through. And so, of course, when I, if I go through the whole list, surely one of them will kena what you are going through. And we'll go through, and we go through our defilements, you, you will kena, and especially when you come up with examples, you will definitely hit one of, or two or more of the kind of stupid things we do. Yeah. And so people feel uncomfortable with that because they feel very naked and bare. Mm. Yeah, when we talk about religions, uh, of course, when you talk about certain religions that just talk about, oh, donate more money, donate more. That's why people are very comfortable with, <laughs> with that because, you know, it's, it's a feel good thing, ma. Just donate money, feel good. But when it comes to certain religions such as Buddhism, there are other religions that also forces you to be introspective, to really look at how we are, which may not always be a pretty sight. It's painful. Yeah, so this is the second reason why people are repulsed and will find other reasons to avoid discussing about religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so one of the ways to avoid is to make you appear like you are high mighty, mm-hmm. even if you are not. Yeah. So no, having known that, then uh, we should know that regardless of how we put it there will be some people who don't feel comfortable and they will just try to position you as I ask and then it's actually a a response and overcompensation in order to avoid the topic so this is what I've seen Uh, there may be other reasons Uh, but having said that so that's why even as a monk uh, I've come to learn not to give unsolicited uh, discussion of the Dharma. Yeah. And oftentimes when I meet new people, I don't go in and say, uh, come, let's look at this text uh, according to Anguttara Nikaya. <laughs> no, I don't. I'll just chat with them. And I'll talk to them and and I will sometimes just talk about things in general. Yeah. And I'll just ask, hey, how are you doing? You know? And let them talk. And um, Oftentimes, after a while, they will they will just share with me what is happening in their life, mm. yeah, and that is the first number two. Yeah, I feel that good friends are a good training ground. Because uh-huh. I grew up with being sarcastic, and <laughs> sarcasm is second nature to us. Uh-huh. So we see each other. I can swan the new pants drop one. Uh-huh. So 
Chuck like, chuck, chuck, uh, chuck, we used to grow up in that kind of environment. Uh, and good friends are also very good training ground because they help me to realize when <coughs> anger is arising or when ill feelings is arising. Mm. And I can have better control over it because good friends are where you have no cause about saying something that might be hurtful in time to come. But because when you recognize it coming, you will hold it back mm. and you suppress it. Then it doesn't become anything after that. Mm. And you still maintain your friendship mm. throughout. Mm. But I feel that good friends are actually a good trainer. So my, I really appreciate mm. my friends a lot more now. Okay. I mean, now with Buddhism, they start to see me as a different monster and creature altogether. Uh-huh. When I was uh, still pretty much in Taoism, I was a go-to person. Uh, you know, uh, this man must pray who, must pray what, uh, come call me, then let's go together. Then I was like, dung, 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 follow the flag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that kind of thing. But now in Buddhism, I don't do that kind of thing pretty much. More. I, told them, I told them that it's still okay to listen, see mediums and everything else. It's fine. There's probably a certain truth to it. Don't, don't, don't just like... Don't bet your whole life on yeah, it. Don't wash it away, yeah. but don't also... Uh, don't bet all your eggs on, on it. Right. <laughs> but I say, whenever yeah. they see something... I, I did tell them, whenever they see something, do question it. Mm. If you question it, then you probably see for yourself whether is it going to be true or not. Mm. But if you don't question, then you just take it as wholesome proof. Then it's wholesome proof. Or? I mean, if that's what you think is wholesome proof, then it's wholesome proof. Mm. So it, it becomes a different mindset altogether. That's why this this couple of weeks I've been just like thinking and thinking and thinking what and how to understand the first noble truth better. Mm. It became very painful uh, to a stand where you easily talk about it and tear over it mm. because you just realize that cannot understand, cannot grasp. I'll send you all the book by mm. Ajahn Sumeho. When mm. you read it, somehow I feel Ajahn Sumeho has reached a certain level of enlightenment as well. The way he shares the form of the truth is in such a candid, light-hearted manner. To understand it's like, it's there already, you know, within your grasp, but you cannot grasp it totally as well. Mm. And how he has experienced it is a different, totally different mm. thing altogether. So he's actually writing in, in his perspective how he actually look into the form of the truth. I'll send you the book. It's only a 70-page book, so it's not much to read. 70-page? Okay. I did it within two hours, so it's okay. Mm. But when you read it, you... I don't know. Uh, When I read it, I felt apprehension, I felt fear, I felt lost. Then, just decided I need to understand more on how to do this and what would be proper reflection. Mm. So that would be a topic that I will look for you to discuss with. Okay. So let's continue. The third sub-point is a world in turmoil. Yeah, the origin of conflict. Why do beings live in hate, the dark chain of causation, the roots of violence and oppression? Yeah, in a way, this becomes a macro view of the world, of our existence, of how our, our suffering from an individual um, get transposed outwards. Yeah, and becomes magnified when we talk about nations. Yeah, you have one individual who is a whirling and unenlightened being. You have an unhappy person. You have two persons who are like that together. You have a quarrel. You have three persons. You may start a fight. When you have a whole nation, you may start a war. Yeah. Then from a, an individual, your own experience. 
to the to the world, then onwards, this world in the past towards the future, without discoverable beginning. Uh, so you have a series of different sutras. These are all, uh, from what I can remember, these are all similes. Yeah. Uh, examples given where the Buddha compare uh, the way the world is uh, with a simile. Yeah. Grass and sticks, balls of clay, the mountain, the river Ganges, dog on a leash. There are a lot of these sutras. This is from Sangita Nikaya. And a lot of these actually have uh, a series of sutra uh, actually focus on the same theme. For example, uh, some compare uh, how this, in this case, how the world has no beginning. Yeah. Uh, some other sutras talk about how through this uh, beginningless, undiscoverable beginning series of life, we have cried so much. Then the Buddha said that the amount of tears we have shed since time beginningless is greater than the four great oceans combined. The amount of bones that we have discarded through all this life when Pala is greater than Mount Sumeru. Yeah. So very visceral um, metaphor and similes. Uh, and this is yet another angle to look at our existence but now at the supra-macro level. You know? yeah. And at the same time, just the title itself, without discoverable beginning. There's that subtext implication, but the, there's another overarching one, which is that if anybody were to come to you and say, well, the Buddha is actually, you know, uh, like he... Uh, Buddhism and another religion, yeah, we, are, we, are, we are the same. Then, just based on this line itself, you know that the Buddha's uh, discovery is, is in longer head than other religious uh, uh, principles and teaching or belief is in direct contradiction with what the Buddha discovered. That there is no beginning. Yeah. So it's... it's, it's it's amazing when some individuals who are Buddhists and some individuals who are not Buddhists come to me and say, uh, "No, when did the Buddha uh, say that he don't he disagree with the teaching of this religion or that religion?" Um, then I'm like, "But then that religion says that there's a creator and there's a beginning." But he he, he didn't disagree with that. I'm like, "What? Huh? <laughs> it, it's so." It's so infantomable that I, I don't know where to start. Yeah, but I would highlight to them this is their statement beginningless time, yeah, the undiscoverable beginning. Yeah, the, this is just so common that it's almost like saying Chinese don't use chopstick. Huh? Why Chinese don't use chopstick? Now, all together, then this is the human condition and the bringer of light. This is referring to uh, the Buddha himself. Yeah, so we introduce. Compared to the, our present condition, which is worldly, yeah, then, hey, out of this darkness that the Buddha used to describe our, our life, the, the, the cycle of samsara, it arises this being, yeah, who is epitome of light, who, is, who brings light to darkness. 
Yeah. And here it covers one person. Yeah, there's one person in this world who is da 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 da. It is Anguttara Nikaya Book One. Yeah. Then from there, the Buddha's conception and birth under Majima Nikaya uh, Sutta number one, two, three. Uh, the quest for enlightenment. The, and under the quest, there's three sub uh, chapters seeking the supreme state of sublime peace, the realization of the three true knowledges, <coughs> the ancient city, and then the decision to teach, and the first discourse, which is the Dhammachaka Papatana Sutta. Yeah. Um, and in a way, this is like the life of the Buddha, yeah, except that it doesn't go into the those the, the usual. Uh, track which is like chronologically, yeah, but it highlights certain key aspects. Oh. Um, the when we look at the life of the Buddha, uh, when you all have the opportunity and you attend the basic Buddhism course, whether in Coming Son or in other places, you'll find that there's always a mention about how he was born and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, when we come to that part, I will raise some questions about. So what if it's not like that? Mm. Yeah. Is it crucial that he was born in that immaculate way? Is it crucial that he took seven steps? That he spoke. Yeah. Uh, when, like most people, when I first hear about this was when I was a, a kid. Um, first, I think we watched some cartoon or video, uh, or maybe the the Japanese version of the life of the Buddha and then later on from the RK text and for the most part we just accept it as truth that this is what happened at some point then it become more like a legend that yeah this is just a religious legend you know that yeah you hear about uh, for some people then they go the other direction and take it that this must be the way it is that as though the whole, the whole teaching hinges on this. Uh, today for me it's a bit different. To me, today for me, it it doesn't matter so much whether the Buddha did walk seven steps anymore. Yeah, for all you care, he 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 might, he might as well be born the the same way as we are. Yeah. In fact, to me, if he was born the same way as we are, it makes him even greater. Yeah, that he was born a human being just like us but yet he transcended human limitation. If he was born a Superman and he just float around, <laughs> then of course you can do it all, you know. Yeah. So when we go through this main chapter, we will explore some of this. And <clears throat> some of this uh, is actually crucial to, to give ourselves that confidence. Yeah. To realize, yeah, so what is so unique about the Buddha that we respect him, that we take refuge in him? Uh, many people take refuge in the Buddha for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Thinking that he's some super being or that he's so different from us, that's why we, we take refuge in him. Uh, there are some aspects about him that is special, but it's not uniquely special in him to the extent that we cannot develop those qualities. It is unique in him because most people just don't develop them. But it's not uniquely exclusive to him. It's not exclusive. It's unique in him because most people don't develop, but it's not exclusive, meaning that we can emulate him and develop. Yeah. So then from there, 
With that in mind, then we say, so how do we approach the Dhamma? Which is what he taught. Because uh, beyond the, the Dhamma that he taught, <laughs> so what if you get enlightened? <laughs> in a way, if I can put it bluntly, big deal, you know? Yeah. It's just like you, you, you have a, a teacher who is so brilliant, but he refused to teach anybody what he knows. Okay, yeah, so, so you're a Nobel Prize winner, but you kept the discovery a secret. <laughs> well, then again, if you kept it a secret, you cannot win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. And you cannot be known as a teacher if you don't teach. Mm. Yeah. So approaching the Dhamma, introduction, not a secret doctrine. Number two, not no dogmas or blind belief. Number three, the visible origin and passing away of suffering. Number four, investigate the teacher himself. Number five, steps towards the realizations of truth. Mm. Anguttara Nikaya 365. Um, and number four, uh, I think one of them should be the Kalama Sutta. Let me just do a quick check. Yeah, no? No dogma or blind belief. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One was wearing on tour together with a large Sangha of monks when he arrived at a town of the Kalamas named Kesaputta. Yeah. So this is the well-known sutta called the Kalama Sutta. Yeah. But oftentimes misquoted because most people just quote the, the front part talking about, oh, don't believe in this, don't believe in that, and so on and so forth. But actually, the whole sutra when taken together, uh, it's not just about saying that you should reject everything. Yeah. It was about how you shouldn't accept an, everything or anything simply based on this criteria. Yeah. It's different from... It's, it's, there's a huge difference between uh, not simply accepting based on this versus rejecting everything. Yeah. But oftentimes we think that not this must be that. Yeah. I don't like you, I must like you. I don't... Uh, like You know what I mean? The, the, the difference between liking and dislike. Yeah. If I don't have a liking for you, doesn't mean that I must dislike you. Yeah, that, that's a, actually a, a, a middle state. Mm. But I don't dislike you, but I also don't have a liking for you. I'm just neutral towards you. Yeah. But oftentimes we put ourselves into this false dichotomy view about this world. Then, then we tend to think of it as you're either with me or against me. Yeah, which is actually a source of a lot of conflict. Yeah, so, um, no, not a secret doctrine. He, he, he highlighted in the sutra that he is an open-fisted teacher. He don't hide things. Yeah, he teaches everything that is relevant to, the enlight- to enlightenment. He don't hold back. Yeah. What he also implies is that he has seen teachers who still so panpu. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this is so well known in Chinese culture. You know, always teach no, 90 to, Yeah, it's <laughs> 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 Yeah, Chinese uh, tend to rebel the teacher and try to kill the teacher. Chinese, when you learn from the last one, never teach you. Okay, okay. Oh, the last one, the <laughs> not free, not free. Up to the enlightenment part, not free. 
，我已修成正果，<笑>你们自变法。有这个沟通好了，沟<笑>通<笑>好了。嗯<笑> ，Yeah， so， 啊、uh, ，the visible origin and passing away of suffering。So there are a few descriptions given uh, that there are epithets about the teachings. Yeah. Uh, so we, when we recite Dhamma uh, Vandana, uh, yeah, then we recite. Eh, uh, chala. Suddenly I can't remember. Eh, what what is the verses? Uh, I remember. So Bhattipano, then after that Dhamma uh, Vandana. Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Sanditiko Akaliko Ehipasiko Opanaiko Pachatam Veditabo Vinyu Hiki This is an instant enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, so there are, there are different descriptions given about the Dhamma. Yeah, um, and it's about how the kind of attitude we should have about the, the teachings, yeah, because of the way the teaching is, yeah, that the teaching is something that is visible, yeah, the origin and passing away of suffering, it is visible to us, it's visible. There was once my late ordination teacher highlighted that uh, the subtle arising and ceasing of phenomena is not visible to us. Yeah, the instantaneous arising and ceasing is not visible to unenlightened beings. When he made the statement, I was a bit perplexed. Then later, when I went to consult him, and in a way to challenge what he said. <laughs> so, in order to make my stand, I cited the Fo Yi Jiao Jing in one of the chapter under uh, Samadhi. The Buddha highlighted that. Uh, when in samadhi, one can see the uh, the the impermanence of phenomena. So when I cited this, I clarified and said that um, was the Buddha referring to the usual impermanence that we see, fading of flowers, waning of flowers, rising and fading of the tides, uh, old age, and so on. You don't need samadhi to see that. So surely. The kind of impermanence that Buddha talk about here, the features of impermanence must be more subtle. Mm. So I use that as a basis to counter and say that this should be referring to that momentary arising and ceasing uh, of phenomena, which is actually pointing to impermanence. Second basis for my for me disagreeing is uh, when you cross a bridge, one end of the bridge must touch your shore, the other end touch the other shore. You cannot have a bridge that only touched the other shore. Such a bridge cannot be used by people on this side. So hence, the Dharma must always have one part that is about the unenlightened state, yeah, or that is accessible by unenlightened beings. But through that, you can assess the enlightened state. So any teaching that is given must, at some point, be accessible to unenlightened beings. It may be that this this whole bridge comprises different segments, and the first segment is accessible to you. But you must complete the first segment, then you can access the second segment, which it makes sense. You must step onto the bridge, then you can step into the middle of the bridge. 
so 界定会，哎，文思修， and so on。Yeah, if you if you try to just start jump over to the other side, you will just fall into the into the river. Which is the ten stages that you always yes, mention. The ten stages, the four fruits, and so on. Yeah. So um, this the visible origin and passing away of suffering. Yeah. How the arising and passing away of suffering and all other things should be visible to us. Yeah. Investigate the teacher himself. <laughs> this is very interesting, yeah. Because this is a, an attitude that <laughs> this is a, uh, this, a teacher. <laughs> this is the attitude that is very unique to Buddhism. Yeah, in most religion, no, you're, you're not supposed to question me. Yeah, but in Buddhism, the Buddha himself said you must investigate the teacher. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then he mentioned about how you should the disciples should observe the teacher over time. Yeah, observe how the teacher behaves in public and in private. Investigate whether what he says is consistent in private and in public. The way he behaves, what he says, yeah, and how he acts. Yeah. And only after thorough investigation can you then arrive at a conclusion whether he is, uh, is it enlightened or a suitable teacher. Yeah, we will explore more. Then steps towards the realization of truth. Majman Nikaya 95. Yeah, then this is where okay, the Dharma ultimately is for realization of the truth. Yeah, so then this will cover that. Um, but when you look at the Dharma, most people also get repulsed with talking about Buddhism because many pe- many times people have the misconception that it's either a one or zero kind of attitude. Either I continue with my illustrious. Uh, Essential, uh, very worldly involvement in, in life, or I did hide out into the mountain and become a hermit, yeah, and become a statue in ten years time, yeah. But the Buddha did talk about happiness that is visible in this present life, which is the next chapter. Yeah, I like the the sequence because it highlights and it points to how Buddhism is not just. A, a, a religion for next life, nor is it just a religion for the ultimate, ultimate enlightenment. Mm-hmm. He, the Buddha actually offered a different solution for different people. <laughs> he don't say that everybody must install action server. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did wonder, those people who are born to, I mean, who go to the pure land, are they really happy with every day just so no other thing. So let me give you an example and for some people ah, going okay. through <laughs> for some people going through an example will be helpful for them. Uh, it is now twelve thirty six. Ah. How long have we been in having this discussion already? It's it's like eleven. So yeah. it has it has been one and a half hours. Yeah. Uh did uh did any of you feel a sense of like, ah, how come it's so long? Say no. You just want to go to this chapter, <laughs> investigate the teacher. <laughs> yeah. So, um, while we are not doing what we are, what, uh, what is done in Pure Land yet, uh, but I use this as an example to say, uh, for many people, to to sit down 
and not listen to music or to even commit their time and we are not just going to start at one and a half hours yeah, we're probably going to start at one o'clock or are we stopping now? <laughs> yeah, just one and a half hours alone is unimaginable for many people mm. yeah, but yet it is doable for many of us when I start off Dharma classes in uh, some centres and I tell them that my lesson time is usually two hours they look at me and they're like okay then we may have to have a break in between yeah because in most cases when you have it beyond one and a half hours or one hour people's attention span just win mm. yeah but time and again uh, when I conduct my classes and it's at least two hours if not two and a half hours uh, when we fi- finally finish we have exited time and they're like huh it huh, already over or like huh already two hours ah? yeah so I would say that given that I'm just me I would say that and, and my the, the students are just that just you know just ordinary uh, Buddhists on earth I would say that those beings who are reborn in pure land would in so many ways uh, not have that kind of like Ah, wow, life, wow. Yeah. How many how many lives, <laughs> or how, how long? <laughs> yeah, because for them, they would have. Uh, instead of thinking, hey, but if a being just go there, would they be able to take it? It should be those who are able to take it will be able to go there. Mm-hmm. Only those who are, who have reached that level where they are, they have such, you know, interest. Which is why the, the last SGC I mentioned about how. It is that when you have reached a point where you have unwavering interest in in helping sentient beings, when you have aroused bodhicitta, mm. you have that kind of firm determination and dedication, then you will be the reborn there. Otherwise, you, you, you reject yourself. It's not that the Buddha says, uh, you're not good enough, but it's that we reject ourselves. But there's, a, there's some clause inside that says, those who have a lot of interest but then somehow incomplete in that aspect they will still be reborn then but they will be up at the outer perimeter and it will take a long time for their for their lotus flower to be open yeah and why? because they are not ready yet and only when they are ready then you open and even when, for such beings even when it's open when they cannot go and attend the, the talk given by the Buddhas yet uh, the description is that when they listen, they, they cannot comprehend the words. Last time, I was told and I understood it as that it is a language that they cannot understand. So now, can, can I just check what time you want to have lunch? No, don't interrupt this moment. <laughs> <laughs> it is not that it is of a language that we don't understand. It is just, it is simply that it is at a level that they cannot comprehend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because they cannot comprehend, it might as well be a different language altogether. Yeah. So the number of years or, or eons or kapas, if you will, uh, is really for them to reach that maturity. Yeah. So it is not that the Buddha is selective and reject people. Uh, you're not good enough, don't attend my class. Mm-hmm. It's that 
even when they are sitting there, you just cannot understand. Yeah. Much like how some students, <coughs> wow, they do want to attend Heart Sutra or, or Thursday class. Now they say, oh, I really don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. want to go and listen. Yeah. Yeah. But there are those who will still go and listen. And then when they go and attend basic Buddhism class, many of many students have, after that, after attending one or two years, come back to tell me and say, so, now I know what you were talking about. <laughs> because now when I attend the basic Buddhism class, I'm like, oh, Sifu actually mentioned this before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then they start to realize, oh, whoa, this is the Hasidic really cover a whole spectrum of all the things. <laughs> yeah. So, that's the, the um, visible, uh, hap- happiness visible in this present life. There are various aspects. Yeah, so here, Upholding the, the Dharma in society, the king of the Dharma, worshipping the six directions. Worshipping the six directions from Diga Nikaya 31 is none other than the Sigolabada Sutta. Yeah. The king of the Dharma, I believe, is talking about the wheel turning monarch. Yeah. So, this Sigolabada Sutta, how, yeah, how important is it? Uh, the essence of it, what? What must we be doing? Because this is a sutta I covered in year one EBC. Mm. At the tail end of it, under module three, Chung Hui Pastor actually taught us this mm. sutta. Yes. The ending before we ended year one. Yeah. But when we're hearing at a point in time, it's a bit like. <laughs> what you know there? So this sutta is often highlighted in uh, Dharma classes for lay people. Because um, the, the, the title itself seems to be just about the relationship between people. Mm. But the before and after this section, right, actually covers a whole range of the interaction between yourself and others. We talk about this, the, 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 I think the six or the four kinds of friends that you should cultivate the six or four kinds of friends that you shouldn't cultivate. Mm. Uh, those, you know, all the different conditions of how people around you can affect you and how you should choose wisely. Yeah, so in, in many ways, this sutta in Chinese called San Shen Jing, mm. yeah, is uh, often, uh, it's a very, very, uh, in a way, comprehensive teaching. Uh, and it's one of the key teachings that is highlighted for the lay people. Because honestly, for most lay people, you tell them, come and do do charity, yeah, they can do it. Ask them to come and, uh, let's say, uh, talk about filial piety, yeah, okay, sounds good. You tell them to meditate, you tell them to look at defilements, okay, I mean, you say, sit down, lady. Which is why the classes I conduct, right, is either uh, you... You 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 love it or you oh, cannot I cannot face it I'm not ready mm. I'm not ready yeah and initially like many years back I I feel quite insulted like what's wrong with you <laughs> but later I realized that yeah n- not for everybody yes. yeah not not everybody is ready yeah so sometimes I tone down a bit more yeah but sometimes I also accept that well if you are if you you know maybe you may want to go and attend some other talks first. Yeah. Then when you are ready, you can always come and attend this, you know. So the the Kanlama, uh, the the Sutta is very helpful because it talks a lot about human relation. 
Yeah, and in in many ways, it gives very direct uh, examples of our life. You know, the the kind of uh, friends to avoid the gamblers, those who uh, <laughs> uh, spend that uh, or, or drinkers, those who uh, like loiter the streets late at night, yeah. saunters the street late at night, yeah. right? <laughs> so. Uh, this is one of the the sutras that is directed at lay people. Whereas if you talk about uh, most of other sutras, uh, the blessed one addressed the monks, O Bhikkhus. Mm-hmm. And the monks replied, Yes, blessed one. Yeah. <laughs> Before you know it, talking about uh, what is form, what is feeling. <laughs> For most lay people, ah. <laughs> yeah. But you notice that in my class, I always still bring this in. Yeah. And... Uh, it is my hope and wish that uh, this will give most give lay, di- lay di- disciples uh, a glimpse of what will help them deal with their life beyond just managing the relation, which is crucial. But then beyond managing the relation and the kind of very like oh do this don't do that, then you go into the deeper end of of the pool and you look at really examine your own existence yeah. which is why in Hasutra in SGC I would, when I, there's opportunity I'll bring the five aggregates but I also draw the parallel between the five aggregates and then um, bring in the, the macro view of our existence in terms of the roles that we play yeah. so that there's a bridge now. Yeah. because for most people the five aggregates is still too far in the deep end so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on this so then the family parents and child respect for parents uh, repaying one's parents Anguttara Nikaya number 2 uh, Kata, Katanyu Katanyu Sutta uh, is basically on gratitude the Buddha mentioned about it's basically two suttas back to back Yeah, but this one is highlighting the second part the first part the Buddha mentioned about how there are two kinds of person one who is with gratitude, one who is without gratitude. Yeah. Uh, and then the Buddha highlighted that those with gratitude are rare in this world. Then in the second part of the sutta, or the second sutta, which is conjoined usually, then the Buddha mentioned about how there are two beings, uh, two individuals in this world uh, whose gratitude is hard to repay. None other than our parents. And the Buddha then mentioned about how if a person were to anoint them with oil, carry them on the back and then go up, I think go up and down the, the mountain and, and not resting for a hundred years and endow them with the seven treasures in the whole world, Iva Viva. Sorry, Iva Viva. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one will still not repay their gratitude, yeah, the debt. But only if one were to uh, instill in one's parent these four qualities where they are deficient. Uh, faith in the triple gem uh, it should include the precepts also yeah, because these are the four qualities of someone who is enlightened yeah, sing then jie precepts or morality shi generosity or giving yeah, hui wisdom yeah, to help nurture them to inspire them to cultivate in this way if one can do that huh, one repays the parents' debt yeah, beautiful. 
husband and wives, the different kind of marriages, uh, then the seven kind of wife, how to be united in future life. This sutta in many ways parallel the one on repaying one's parents because the Buddha also mentioned these four qualities again. That if two persons wants to be together in future life, then you should cultivate these four qualities to the same level. Uh, an elderly couple approached the Buddha and asked the Buddha about how they can be reborn together to be united in future lives. Yeah, and I take the opportunity to highlight a misconception that many Buddhists have that, oh, when you come to temple, you kind of Buddhism, we must be like, oh, you can ching ching, wow, sadatia kong, wow, cannot, cannot have interaction with opposite gender and so on. Um, but then from this, the Buddha didn't scold them. Yeah. In fact, the Buddha even highlighted that if you cultivate in this way, in this life you can be together. And if you make it that the wish and aspiration, in future life you can be together also. Yeah. Surely, you, you would, most Buddhists would think that the Buddha wouldn't encourage, you know. So a lot of Buddhists have the kind of like, after they learn Buddhism, they, they, they tell their spouse, eh, I tell them, this is the last <laughs> life, uh, next life we want to be together. <laughs> so, but then if you look at the Buddha himself, his wife and him, for, for the last 500 lives, his wife committed herself to being his wife, you know. 500 lives? Yeah. Oh. Huh? <laughs> that's, that's the kind of love they have that's for each other. No? That's the kind of commitment. No? So, so there's this, there's this juxtaposition of, of uh, what we think of of Buddhism uh, or non-attachment, uh, relinquishing, which is in the inner teachings. But at the same time, the Buddha's own life um, is a living example of dedication and devotion to others. Whether it is to his wife or to his uh, his cousins, his disciples, because life after life, they were they were seen to be reborn into different circumstances, but together mm. and mutually benefiting again and again. But they would, the, the 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 bad thing is they don't know. Huh? I mean, maybe what I. I, I what mean, but they don't know. Just life after life, you won't know that whether previous life. Trust me, you know. Huh? That's why you attend my class. <laughs> you may not know factual, yeah. like like concretely. Oh, because uh, last yeah, life, yeah, yeah. what happened? Why, but why would they want to I make would, us forget? No, nobody <laughs> is making us forget. We are just forgetful. <laughs> so imagine you can remember. I mean, like, split personality. So you get confused, right? No, I mean, like not only that relationship, but who you were in your previous life. You can remember all our past lives. Yeah. You can't. You, then you, you can't live this life, right? No. I would. Uh, Isn't it very confusing? It is confusing. However, it is not necessarily because of this reason that someone made us forget. You must. I, I. I have come to the point of understanding that I. I tell people very factually that. Um, there are many things that is described by the Buddha that is just the way he observed. Mm. And if we try to rationalize it and think of a why it's like that, we are kind of missing the point. Mm. It's like asking the question, why must it rain? Well, when there are conditions, then it rain. 
Do not think that oh the rain the the, the clouds have compassion on the living creatures. That's why it rain. <laughs> Sometimes. Buddhist writers may write such things, you know. Oh, the, the sun has compassion for all sentient beings, so shine. I mean, in some of sutras, it did use that as a parable, as a metaphor, but it shouldn't be taken literally. It's a metaphor. Which part of the word metaphor do we not understand? You know what I mean? So likewise, the fact that we cannot remember do not have to be and should not be attributed to some, some supreme reasoning that... W- why, why, why did they make... There's no day who made us forget. Mm. I often answer this question by asking people, can you remember what you ate last Wednesday morning? Mm. Uh, most of us cannot. Yeah. And it's a, a, a standard question that I ask so many individuals. Mm. The only individuals who can answer that question are those who eat the same Indies. thing <laughs> either every day or their mother always keeps <laughs> the same thing on Wednesday. <laughs> or they are quite pee. Yeah. And then I'll ask them a further question. Can you remember yeah, can you remember the exact circumstances of that meal on that day? Then they realize, oh yeah, actually I can't remember. What they can remember is the habitual circumstances. Why is it some people can remember the past life? Young let's not go into the past life yet. No? No, let's not go into the past life yet. Okay. Yeah. You see, what I'm trying to establish is most of us cannot remember most details in our present life. So is it any surprise that we cannot remember our past life? Most of us. And yet, some of us can remember a lot more things about our life than others. So then is it any surprise that some people can remember even their past life but not most of us. And yet, at the same time, when we meditate, when we fatai, none of us will ever suddenly, ah, I remember, or I, I suddenly recall myself brushing my teeth in the morning. Although brushing the teeth is a daily activity that we do, but yet we don't recall it. However, we, what do we recall? We recall that one day when someone said nice, something nice to us, when someone said something that touched our heart. And the person only said it once. And all it takes is that one time and then we fall in love with that person. Privilege. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes frivolous things as well. That the person probably forgets. <laughs> or sometimes it's something that a person said in passing, not intentionally, and then we get so hurt. And this is the way our memory is. We remember things that impacted us whether emotional or otherwise it is what we call in Buddhism the three kind of experiences or feelings or sensations if you will pleasant, unpleasant and neither pleasant or unpleasant most of our human experiences are the third category neither pleasant or unpleasant when an experience is strong enough to be pleasant or unpleasant it draws our attention and when it draws our attention then and we respond to it it leaves a strong imprint this is the basis for our memory so um, if you if you if you look at just our life then you realize that yeah we don't really remember much things about our life except those things that seem to 
what, what we call matter to us mm. is that it's just that it impacted us and we responded mm. yeah and even then we often remember what we choose to remember what we perceive of the incident yeah uh, a few friends commented when I recounted past experiences to them and I didn't realize this until one or two person commented saying that do you realize that whenever you share you never quite mention about the emotions you just very factually highlighted who was there where they were sitting and what exactly was said then I realized oh yeah I actually do remember things more or less in this way whereas most people would remember the or, or recall the feelings and emotions. I don't know whether this is a flaw or a strength yet. Yeah. Uh, but I so far I find that uh, when there's a lot of emotions involved, uh, we tend to get clouded by it. Our, our perceptions get coloured, and then we only remember that coloured vision of things. Yeah. Um, I don't say that I'm totally free of the emotions because. Um, it is also true that a lot of the things that I recall do have emotional, um, heightened emotions during those moments. It's just that I would recall not so much the emotions, but but if I need to, I can still recall how I feel, but my focus is usually on what happened. So then we come back to the question about the past life. The first point I make to most people about past life is if you notice how we, how we refer to our present life, our memory is flaky, number one. Number two, of those things that we so-called remember uh, flakily, it usually hurts us more than help us because we don't know how to deal with what we can remember. The unpleasant ones, already by default, we are not happy. Mm. The happy ones, we use it to make our perception of the present state worse in comparison. <laughs> so we don't seem to know how to deal with what we can remember. So then I ask people, why, why the rush to go and remember past life? Mm. Yeah. The second point is, given that we cannot deal with it, um, we shouldn't be so uh, eager to you know, go and... Yeah. We should spend more time to learn how to deal with our present memory. Mm. Further, given the way we can remember things, then again, I, I, as I highlighted, is there any surprise that we cannot remember our past? Mm. Because we just keep on holding on to the few things that we think is important. We cling on to it so strongly. And this clinging propels us to the next life. That we just forget about everything else that has happened. And then after a while, that also fades away, and it's, it's just a feeling we get when we see that person. But and this humans is humans are cu- curious, curious. Yeah, you can be curious. Yeah. You can be curious. So curious, and then yet you cannot get the answer. Then the more you want, you yeah. Know. So why don't you spend your time to be curious about what you ate last Wednesday? Yeah. That one is not interesting, huh? Yeah. But but, 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 but my, no no my, no no no. Okay. I'm not interested to satisfy <laughs> your curiosity because I never promise you once. <laughs> To, that you come to my class and I will satisfy your curiosity. <laughs> Unless you are a cat. Just like my, my the, 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 the dog, she like to stare she like to stare at me. So she always stare at me and I'm like, you relating to me? She will stare at me for very long. Then we just stare at each other. The, the yeah. Probably 
Maybe. <coughs> yeah. Because I, I, I saw one doc documentary uh. and then they said that those who could recall were those who had in the past life they had died violently. For example, plane crash. Or they were murdered. Oh, okay. You know, things like that. So probably those left a stronger imprint in, in the mind stream. Yes. Perhaps. That's why mm. you can recall. So it's like really mm. traumatic. Yes. That's a possibility. Mm. That's a possibility. Uh, my approach these days, uh, in almost all matters, is not to simply dismiss possibilities, but to lay out all possibilities. As I think I mentioned just recently in class, very simple. In many of the questions where it's yes or no, only two possibilities. You don't have to argue and to decide whether which one is true. You just consider both possibilities. And then and in most cases, you'll find that one of the possibilities, whether it's true or not, mm. doesn't matter. Then you just have to consider the other one. And then you have to co just consider if it's true, then what is the implication? Then after that, then only and only then do you make any attempt to try to tear it down as well. Yeah. To prove that it is impossible to be true. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so far, this approach is, to me, more helpful. Because many times, uh, to, to choose between one of the possibilities uh, is oftentimes beyond uh, the scope of our discussion or the uh, ability within our short lifespan uh, to prove. As much as there are, I think it's some Iverson, don't know, something Dr. Iverson or some, some doc, uh, professor, there's a whole series of documentaries and books uh, and he's not the only one. So he, you could have seen a documentary by another uh, researcher. Uh, but there, uh, there's this one very well-known one who has, did, who has done documentation of uh, individuals who have recollection of past life. There's also this series, One, one Life, Many Masters. Yeah. Uh, so he is a, I think he's a, a, a psychologist or psychotherapist or something. And then he did the hypnotherapy. Yeah. And uh, in, in, in one of the book, he talked about how one of the client actually started to recall uh, her life as an Egyptian girl and so on and so forth. So... There were, there were a few series of books. Yeah. So in the first book, when I read the thing, one student from PRC actually bought the book, read it, and then maybe she, wrote, she read the Chinese version, bought the English version for me to read. So I read through. The thing most people are surprised with is my response. Because most people would expect a Buddhist monk to take very well to such books. And because it seems to ascertain that there is a past life. But my response is oftentimes either in the negation or uh, no, no uh, decision is made at this point in time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, why? Because um, I'm, I often put in even more critical assessment when it is too good to be true. Yeah. So this is the same thing I do for sutras. I'm actually very critical about sutras. Yeah, so sometimes when in SGC or in classes when students ask questions, uh, 
not not to be like high and mighty. Uh. But sometimes when they ask some questions and they they give the kind of like look at how smart this question is, yeah. see on the book hole. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be like, let me help you ask a second question that will reveal a bigger hole. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's nothing really. <laughs> yeah, that's a bigger problem that you, you kind of miss out actually yeah. is, is this. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very critical about uh, about things, especially when it claims to be the, the truth. Yeah. So for such books, I read it with a very critical view. And one of the things, the critic I gave was, uh, the 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 sharing by the person who was under hypnotherapist uh, hypnosis states states the exact year, or uh, how many how many BC, yeah, and so on. So then I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why? Because before Christ, there was no notion of before Christ. The term before Christ was given as an afterthought later on. And in fact, AD was only set up don't know how many years after Christ. It was not that once Christ declared himself, uh, started teaching, then they declared that as the AD 0 or 1, you know. No. Yeah, so then I'm like, so, so I'm like, how can someone who is really born in, in Egypt at that point in time, before there was even Christ, uh, know that this is the before Christ period? Mm-hmm. So in the second book, he sort of addressed it, saying that, oh, this is, and to me, it's a very contrived explanation. <laughs> oh, oh, this is somehow there's this awareness, and yeah. I'm like, what kind of bullshit is that? <laughs> but then people buy it all. <laughs> yeah, people buy it. So I, uh, for for that series of books, so there are different authors and different researchers who who make claims that there there is clear evidence of past life. Again. Most people expect a Buddhist monk or nun, for that matter, to to leap forward, to jump in, because it seems to affirm the Buddhist teaching. I am even more critical of such claims than those that is against the Buddhist te- te- teaching. Yeah, because to me, you have to be critical to be against the Buddhist teaching. So I don't have to be even more critical. Mm. But of course, I'm still critical. But those that support the Buddhist teaching are even more critical because. If, if there's even one shred of doubt inside and we miss it out and later it turns out that this support, supposed support for the Dharma is flawed people may just de- dismiss not just this claim but the Dharma itself yeah. whereas if, if the criticism of Buddhism turns out to be false probably they are false, false, not good, la, good that it's false you know yeah. also must be careful yeah. Um, having said that, of course, um, I'm of the opinion that uh, there should be a past life, yeah, and not just one past life. Uh, there are many, uh, there are many instances where uh, the way. Uh, can we pause the recording? Yeah. So, the different kind of uh, marriages, so the Buddha described uh, the different interaction between husband and wife. Yeah. Seven kinds of wife is sometimes seen to be a very misogynistic uh, aspect of Buddhism, yeah. Yeah, basically anti-woman. Uh, but the Buddha is describing based on the kind of co- uh, social context in the, in the Buddha's time. 
and actually within these seven kind of wife he did highlight certain kind of wife who is who is seen to be virtuous so it's not just just you know putting down women yeah uh, and as I often highlight to people nowadays many times some of these qualities that is used to describe women can also be seen in men <laughs> yeah so instead of yeah, there are some women who is very kuniang, <laughs> more kuniang than women. You know? I thought you recently just met one. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah. So present welfare, future welfare. Yeah. So what is present welfare? What is future welfare? We often only think about present welfare. Yeah. But actually, actually, somebody didn't know the joke. Uh, when when. Huh? <laughs> You know, there there were many occasions where <laughs> where students actually come to me and say that oh, you're you're very patient, uh. but I don't find that I'm a very patient person. Yes, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but somehow people, you know, come and tell me that I'm very patient. I guess it's relative, like. <laughs> I think because many of us, especially when we are in a working environment. Yeah. <laughs> People tend to chew your head off almost instantaneously. Chew your head off instantaneously. So for a person that doesn't do that, we need to be patient. I guess so. Well <laughs> <laughs> really, sometimes when you talk, you say something you go, wow. You haven't finished the fellow yeah. like like wow, throwing ten things to drown you. <laughs> You are saying something only here, don't they? Or I will diffuse your mission. Yeah, sweet, sweet color, ting ting chow chow. I came back and told my husband about the 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 sweet lah. Yeah, this is you lah. They say me. Remember the sweet? Uh. This uh, uh Pak Ma says, "Sifu, I give you the best sweet in the world." Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you all want to know what? Yes. So, so someone gave me a sweet. Okay. Yeah, and and mentioned that this is the best sweet in the world. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then, and then someone said, uh, I already gave seafood food before. No, oh. because throughout the whole journey, because I have one big pack, so throughout the whole journey, I've been giving seafood all the world. So she's been eating so many times, and then this fellow, this sister, something come up at the last day at the airport, said, this is the best sweet in the world. Yeah. Isn't this a sweet? I've been giving Sifu for this while. <laughs> this is, this is so <laughs> you know, like that. That's a problem. Then bro. I came back and told my husband, my husband, yeah, yeah, Sifu is going, you want like that? <laughs> you have to quit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, as much as you, you would feel that you don't mean anything, let me say that um, in the future, there will come a point in time where you a, a practice uh, it is part of the practice to really examine your intention before your actions you realize that but maybe I'm wrong it could well be a habitual tendency uh, that is residual from past life yeah. Okay. Yeah. meaning that for example uh, a, a person who is who somehow get into a circumstances where he argue a lot even when in future those circumstances is removed the person continue to be argumentative yeah, so, in this instance, uh, it is uh, the way I look at it uh, is that there must be some impetus to point that out. And in this case, 
to highlight that one have already given it before. It does two things. One, to highlight that your gift is not so special. Two, that I instead is the one who have offered it before. Yeah, so there are these two components that you may not be aware or you may to, at this point in time disagree that no, that didn't go through my mind. But it may well have gone through without you being aware. Okay. Yeah, because... No, no, my, my, my first thing that comes to my mind is uh-huh. that, what's, what's, what's sweet what's so, special? so special? I also want to try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is very down-putting, ma. So this is a down-putting action. Okay. But you... you it, it takes a bit of sensitivity la. <laughs> but I would I would I would say that perhaps you don't have that outright ill intent but there's a certain level of pride and ego because the from the from the outcome like what you just described it's a it's a very downputting uh, statement yeah so while you don't consciously want to hurt people but you have a habit of putting people down Mm. So, much so after after Sufu tell me, you know, that, that I quickly go and, I quickly went to her and say, wow, is, is this a sweet that if I, you know, it's really very much. Very much. Then it's really, we start the conversation and say, yeah, okay. But sometimes I go, uh, a reciprocal of not being past life, but by mm. people. So they've got a tendency to want to act strong, be strong. Mm, no, I'm not being put down a lot. No, I mean, <laughs> some, some of them are. Just, like just that. different circumstances. La. Yeah, some of them mm. have been like that. I've, I've known of people who have throughout their growing years have been put down with people so much, they develop such a strong <coughs> imperative complex. Mm. Their ego is so strong. Mm. Whenever people say something, they must be. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this thing, this, this character, I, I, I do it at home a lot to my daughter. <laughs> Just like my daughter said, hey, mommy, man, you see this one? Eh, so ugly. No, la, no nice. La. This one you should put blue color, then nice. La. <laughs> you know, like, then after that, my husband said, hey, people's effort, just praise a bit. <laughs> You're so stingy with your praise. <laughs> so this is an exercise for you. <laughs> it's yeah. an exercise of mindfulness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I think I mentioned, when did I mention that? Uh, there was one day I mentioned about how enlightened beings um, are mindful and conscious uh, and in uh, and because of that they exude uh, a very uh, sensitive nature they exude this this very caring nature that is not a contrived uh, result it's not an attempt to appear caring but they just naturally uh, care because they are mindful of the impact. They are mindful of the suffering of others. Yeah. Yeah. But not to put you down and say, that, oh, what you are, you know. But it's more that to highlight, hey, this is an area that you can actually work on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is just one example. Because a few times I've thought of a few things that are quite funny. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing about you is that while I would openly, sometimes openly point out, and sometimes I'll <laughs> you, you, you would sometimes accept, and sometimes kind of like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, which is not a bad thing. But some people take it very personally. 
I'm not like that. I'm not. Like that. <laughs> I ask your partner. Okay, okay, then I don't say. Well. <laughs> it's uh, the honest part of you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so let me just cover up to to, to number four. <laughs> yeah. So present welfare, future welfare. So we tend to be concerned about present welfare and not future welfare. Uh, it seems to I want to highlight. Uh, there's this thing about oh, don't go after the future. Live now. Live in the present. Yeah. But j- the other day I just had a conversation with someone, and I highlighted that no, the Buddha is quite clear that we should be concerned about the future. Yeah. Aspiration is about the future. You know, cultivation is about the future. I do good, I get happy results. It's always about the future. Yeah. But it's not living in the future. Mm. It's to be aware that there are consequences in the future. Uh, that's a that's a huge different distinction. Planning for the future and worrying for the future is different. Planning is Controlled, it is you are in control. You can stop anytime. Worrying cannot cannot stop. You are you are stuck in the future. <laughs> yeah, in in anticipation of what can and will happen, or may happen, and you have no control, and it is incapacitating. Uh, that is what the Buddha is trying to get us to uh, avoid. Those who so called live in the present only, they are what we call materialistic. Materialism, yeah, thinking that only the present is valid. Yeah. In some ways, we are a combination of the two. With our children, we, we are very wise. We tell them, oh, you must not just play now. Huh? You must know six months later your exam is coming. Yeah, but with ourselves, with, with our life, we, we tend to forget it, the same principle. No. Right livelihood. Avoiding wrong livelihood, the proper use of wealth, uh, family man's happiness. So avoiding wrong livelihood, part of the noble eightfold path. Uh, that's right livelihood. That's wrong livelihood. Yeah. So the, those livelihood that involve killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, uh, involve the trade of, of life, uh, sale of weapons, and so on. Yeah, these are to be avoided. Yeah, when we look through the sutra, then we'll go into more details. The proper use of wealth. The Buddha mentioned about separating it into four parts. Uh, in the in the Sigolabada Sutta, he also mentioned this is one particular Sutta that highlights it explicitly. A family man's happiness. The Buddha mentioned about how uh, a lay person, a householder, here uh, the term is family man. Uh, in the Sutra, the translation is often a householder, yeah, basically a lay person. So a lay person can have happiness, why not? Yeah. Uh, but what kind of happiness? Happiness of acquiring wealth through uh, right uh, through the their own sweat of brow in a righteous manner, basically right livelihood. Yeah. Then with that wealth to buy things to please yourself, yeah, and others. Yeah. The uh, or to 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 own things. Then further to buy things to please others. Yeah. A different kind of happiness. Oh, we will go through that. Woman of the home. Wow. Again, highlight what are the roles and, and duties of the woman in the at home. Huh? The community. Six roots of dispute. Six principles of cordiality. This is what we call Liu He Jing. Uh, purification is for all four castes. 
seven principles of social stability, the wheel turning monarch, bringing tranquility to the land. Yeah, so the six principles of cordiality, basically uh, body, speech and mind, right then the, the, the view uh, and then the, the precepts and the benefits. Yeah, so it is about how for a group to live in harmony with cordiality, the, everybody should uh, relate to each other with love and compassion in terms of their body, speech and mind. And then to share a common view, yeah, that means their mindset should be aligned. Yeah. If they have differing views, then hard to be cordial. Uh, the rules that apply to them should be a standard rule. Everybody should follow the same rule. Yeah, you cannot have some people have this rule, some people don't have that rule. You can see quite very clearly how <laughs> having double standard will cause people to, you know, <laughs> oh gosh, the book is really talking to us. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, the benefits. Yeah, uh, if if again, if the benefits is not equal, then you cannot be in harmony. Mm. Yeah, you cannot be in harmony. Uh, in particular for the Sangha then it refers to that everybody must observe the same rule we must have the same right view same rules and when there is offering given then everybody should get equal amounts yeah. but is, is, is preference a, a wrongdoing? I mean I think everybody has a preference right? so when there is preference there is actually unequality um, in Buddhism, we don't simply say this is right doing or wrong doing. Uh, take preferences as an example. We don't go around saying that, oh, you have a preference, that's wrong. Uh, rather, whatever we do or don't do, we say there are consequences. <clears throat> there are some consequences that are short-term, there are some consequences that are very far-fetched, long-term. There are some consequences that produces results that you may or may not like it. Yeah. So the question is, what do you want at the end of the day? If a person is only concerned about the present welfare, mm. how my coffee tastes, mm. you cannot deny that drink, drinking certain, uh, certain beverages produces a certain experience. It's undeniable. So uh, all of us have our own taste preferences. Yeah, so it's undeniable that if you drink something that is agreeable to you, you will feel happy. Yeah. The Buddha don't deny such pleasures. Mm. The question is, um, is this form of pleasure a long-term or short-term thing? Number one. Number two, uh, if you can have your preferences, no problem, and you can enjoy it. But if you cling on to that preference, and as a result of that clinging, suffer when you don't get that your preference <coughs> then is your preference still giving you pleasure mm. yeah if a person insists that that is still giving pleasure then well, sure go ahead <laughs> yeah so Buddhism the reason why I find increasingly uh, quite easy to share the Dharma is because I don't try to make Buddhism work for people <laughs> I don't try to prove that Buddhism is correct I just tell people what Buddhism is, what our experiences is like. If you don't agree, okay, no. <laughs> then there's no 
there's no conflict at all. Yeah. So much so that when I tell people to write down three things that upset them, there's someone who actually in class state that nothing upset them, except him. I'm like, really? In the past three months, nothing. Past one year, nothing. Your whole life, nothing. I said, well, okay, maybe you're more enlightened than you, you know. And he was like, and, I, and then I said, well, and in that case, if you really don't have anything that upsets you, then you have nothing to write. Then you can just sit and wait for the rest. Five minutes later, he raised his hand and he said, Venerable, I think I do find that there's something that upset me. Then he mentioned about how when he go to Buddhist library for classes, uh, he has to uh, he had he arrived one hour earlier and he still cannot get a parking lot. <laughs> Seven thirty class, he arrived at six thirty, he still cannot get a parking lot. You see, the thing is that if he can reach at six thirty, he can go by public transport. Right? <laughs> well, that's true, but besides the point, cause it's, but that's causing his own pain. <laughs> Actually, there are other alternative locations for him to come. It's just that he insists on that plane, maybe. I think he's lost. <laughs> so, I, I usually know about this, but I don't highlight this. Uh, and his point was that, the next point that he made was that, then was that, but, but this, this frustration, you know, go away very quickly. I'm not upset for long anyway. So I said, okay, and are you okay with having occasional moments of being upset? Because if you are, I'm not in the business of making you so enlightened <laughs> that you don't have even these spikes of displeasure. But if you find that one day you find this dissatisfying, that you want to live a life that don't even have this kind of spikes that upsets you momentarily, then you can come to Buddhism. <laughs> then you realize that, yeah, Buddhism is just this way. It don't try to sell itself. <laughs> in, in fact, when you were in class, you asked me to write the tree, I couldn't write also. <laughs> <laughs> write also. Because like, like now you mentioned about the parking lot, it just come and go. Yeah. It's so short term that you, you don't even put it in your mind. Until the next week when you encounter it. Right? After that, you found a parking lot, you really totally forget about that. Yeah, so... In the, in, for, for many people, for many people, they will try very hard to convince mm. that person that that is a problem. The one, there are many things I learned over the years, and this is one key thing. In the process of trying to share the dharma, don't try to tell a person to slim down if they don't consider themselves fat. Mm. Yeah. Well, if you don't think you are fat, who am I to tell you to slim down? Only when you have decided you are fat then you come to me. Then, it's, then, then all I have to do is focus on how to slim down. I don't have to waste my time to convince that you're... If you don't think you're fair, okay, yeah, you're happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, where was I? The sixth principle. Yeah. You mentioned something that we deviated. Huh? What was it? Uh? Yeah. And then we were at a lay female in the female household does, right? No, we were at this we were at this the, the six principles of cordiality and I was mentioning about mentioning about the three and then the, the last three um, No, you, you mentioned something just now Yeah, but okay, the next one Yeah, purification is for all four castes. This is about how the Buddha 
uh, had a conversation. There were a few conversations, but this is one of them, where he, um, in a way, chided the Brahmin. Because the Brahmins would make the statement that only Brahmins are pure. Yeah, because the very term Brahmin means pure. Yeah, means uh, purity. So the Buddha challenged that and asked if a person were to, if a Brahmin were to kill, steal, engage in sexual misconduct online, would a king not censor him? Would he not be censored by the wise? Would he not be disparaged and so on? Say yes. If a if a Shaitriya, a warrior, were to do that, would he not receive the same treatment? Would a, a merchant not receive the same treatment? Would a laborer not receive the same treatment? Say yes. Doesn't matter which caste he is, isn't it? As long as he do all these things, he's considered to be impure. Yes. And the Buddha said the reverse. Likewise, if a Brahmin were to abstain from this, wouldn't he be respected and considered pure? Likewise, the warrior, merchant, and laborer. In which case, then, purity is not based on your birth. It's based on what you do. Yeah. So, not by birth is one pure, but by one's action is one pure. Yeah. So, purification is all for, is for all four castes. The seven principles of social stability. Um, some of these are given to, uh, advices given to the kings. This is actually part of the Dika Nikaya, uh, 16, which should be the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, where the Buddha has a whole series of different teachings as he proceeds in the last three months from cities to cities. And this part is his advice to uh, one of the kingdom, uh, where he highlights uh, seven things that a community or group should do to conduct uh, uh, themselves in. Uh, he first gave the parallel of a Sangha, uh, or rather he gave a parallel of, of the a kingdom, saying that uh, this kingdom, they, they assemble frequently. Yeah. This is the first reason why they will not be easily defeated. This kingdom, when they assemble, they are harmonious. That's why they, are, they will not be... This kingdom, when they come together, they discuss matters and so on and so on. There are seven altogether. And then he said, on this basis, on these seven principles, they are not easily defeated by other kingdoms. Then the Buddha highlighted the parallel to the Sangha. The Sangha should meet frequently, should discuss things openly, and so on and so forth. Yeah. The will-turning monarch. Uh, this is uh, a term, so the will-turning monarch refers to uh, a description that is common in the Buddha's time describing uh, those monarch, basically kings yeah, uh, who, who possess uh, uh, how do you call that? who possess uh, certain qualities one of, the quali- one of the series of qualities is that a returning monarch looks like a Buddha. Yeah, has the features, physical features of the Buddha. Mm. Uh, according to my late ordination teacher, uh, slightly imperfect compared mm. to the Buddha. Yeah, oh, but Sen Wang. Mm. So such a such a, a king actually has a lot of merit. 
Yeah. So likewise, the Buddha. Then the, my, my teacher highlighted that. For example, let's say uh, the the certain feature where the teeth, you know, is is very white or something. Compared to the Buddha, not so white. But com- compared to most people, very white. Yeah, something like that. Oh. Uh, the key thing is that. Uh, this sutra should have a series of different wheel-turning monarch, where the wheel-turning monarch has seven treasures. One of them is the is the wheel, yeah, is the wheel, and they have they have the you know I think the gold wheel, the bronze wheel, the copper wheel, the iron wheel, where each of them represents different ways of governing the land. Yeah, the worst is the iron iron wheel where he must. Rule by force. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is mention about how the wheel turning monarch will actually establish the Dharma uh, as a principle across the land. Yeah, the, the earlier ones. <clears throat> and with that, then there's peace and harmony throughout the land. Yeah. King Ashoka is said to have modeled his own uh, empire after this teaching. Yeah, to try to emulate what is a wheel turning monarch. There are different angles to it. And again, for most Buddhists, while well, we look at King Ashoka as the epitome of a good king and so on, but that, uh, there's also this opinion that King Ashoka tried to. Uh, okay, come. So King Ashoka tried to associate himself with being a wheel turning monarch in order to have. Legitimacy to rule the people. King Ashoka is the one that sent his son to Lanka mm. and his daughter later as well. Yeah. Who are Arahanas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And King Ashoka is the one who 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 waged massive wars across the whole of India and in a way sort of like conquered unified. and unified. And then it's said to have like came, came to his senses. I can't remember the circumstances. But he is said to have came to his senses and then embraced Buddhism. And rule with compassion. From what I read yeah. the story to be I mean the parable. Yeah. And that's where he started to hold far by sending his son, daughter, yes. or up. Yes. Okay, yeah. That's one of the more famous yeah. things, right? Yes. So bring tranquility to the land again from Diganikaya. Uh we need to look at the sutra itself. Huh? I'm gonna stop here. Yeah. Oh, uh, so when we come back, we'll go through the table of contents again. I'm I'm really I'm, I may seem to be going through in a lot of details, but this is just in brief to give you a flavor, um, and I hope that this will help us to see how, how the flow, you know, of the text is. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, at least, at least now we can live happily in the present moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Until the next exciting episode on my fortunate video. Thank <laughs> you.